0: Welcome to First Coat, where we explore public realm art, how it's made, and why it matters. I'm your host, Stephanie Etche, an artist and entrepreneur based in Brooklyn, New York. I run Distill Creative, where I curate and produce site-specific art projects for real estate developers. I focus on creating more equitable and inclusive projects, and I want to get more exposure for the artists and developers doing this work. This week on First Coat, we have Betsy Casañas. Betsy is a visual and public artist, an educator, a community activist, and an organizer based in both Philadelphia and Puerto Rico. She is the director of A Seed on Diamond Gallery and founder of Samia Arts Initiative. Casañas has over 26 years of experience in the arts and has created over 40 murals worldwide. I spoke with Betsy about how she does community public art projects, how she uses parachute cloth, how she got started as an artist, her first job in the arts, and how she leads a creative life. You'll learn about collaboration, large-scale mural projects, and what it's really like to run an art studio and gallery. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for being here today and being a guest on First Coat. If you can tell us who you are and what you do and what you've been recently working on during this quarantine time. My name is Betsy Casañas. <laughs> Start off with that. I'm a public artist, so I've been doing community art, public
1: art around the world. I was based out of Philly. Now I'm between Philly and Puerto Rico. I have a space called A Seat on Diamond Gallery in Philly and Semilla Arts Initiative is just me wherever I go, right? Semia is a grassroots initiative that uses art as a catalyst for social and underserved communities. Yeah, so basically my work has a lot of community involvement. I, I've i been teaching for a really long time. I, I started teaching maybe 26 years ago. I started doing public art around the same time. I had a baby around the same time. <laughs> yeah, so everything for me kind of started when I was about 19 years old. Community art, public art, using art as a voice, a voice for underserved communities
0: for just to show folks of color in a dignified light. What's your earliest memory of creating something? This is really silly. I I really (laughs) when you when you
1: sent me that question I was like I used to do these things when I was like in second grade. Like that's the earliest thing I remember like doing and they were nothing. I used to draw a bunch of dots (laughs) on a page. You know how you had those numbers? Mm -hmm. Those numbers that would create like an elephant or something. I would do that, but it would be like very abstract, very... And I would do that often, like it was like obsessive. (laughs) Nothing, you know, very interesting. Actually, that's probably my first youngest memory of creating like some kind of art. But I started actually painting and drawing when I was about 14 years old. When I was about 14 years old, I I went to a Catholic high school for girls (laughs) in Philadelphia, cut a little flower. And yeah, we had an option, like we, we were able to get a music or a drawing class, like a music or an art class, they chose it for you, you weren't able to choose. So they put me in drawing and I mean, I guess if I, I feel like if I would have been put in music, I would have probably been a musician. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay. I started painting more or getting into art more focused when I was about 14 years old, and my neighborhood became really dangerous, so my parents like, were restricting how much time I was able to spend outside. It was like, just outside was really, really dangerous, I and mean, there was a lot of shootouts. There were just a lot of stuff going on in the neighborhood, and this was in North um, Philadelphia. I was in North Philly, yeah, yeah, I was on 4th and Cambria, and it was just like, Open an open drug market on the corners, and yeah, the neighborhood was just like really—it was like the Fourth of July outside all the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so at fourteen, I started drawing and painting more because I really wasn't able to go outside as much as I had when I was younger. And then I started doing public art when I was nineteen. I, mean, I was really really, really young when I started doing all of this like I started teaching at a community center i started everything everything for me started around the same time. I've been doing it for as long as i
0: I can remember it's It's interesting you say that your first memory is were you literally connecting dots yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> i would I would say I would take like a loose leaf paper and draw
0: dots was never recognized as anything impressive. <laughs> I wasn't considered like the artist of my classroom or anything. But it's interesting that that's something that I feel like your work is all about connecting and finding abstract yeah. relationships between people and places. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. That's interesting. What was your first public art piece, whether oh. that was a mural or activation or something else?
1: I was actually 17 years old when I did my first public art piece. I was working at this Cuban pharmacy <laughs> and I was really young and I was always interested in, in, in drawing and the owner of the pharmacy gave me the front of his building it was like this gate and he was like oh why don't you paint a mural for me and then from that I get two other projects. Oh wow. And then, yeah I mean I was so young and they were bad they were terrible. <laughs> they were so bad. Um, yeah I ended up doing that and then you know I, I was in school and just kind of you know doing whatever and then at 19 i actually got really got into murals like the first one was just like you know by chance oh you want to do this i was a kid but at 19 which I, I was still a kid i was pregnant i was pregnant with my son i was about four months pregnant and i was in school at the time i i was like you yeah, know i need a, i need a job <laughs> I need a job. So I ended up, like somebody had recommended uh, one of the cultural organizations in my community, Cataller Puerto Rican, and I called them and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm an artist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 19 years old. I'm an artist. I, you know, I will, I need a job. And the lady, you know, invited me. Her name was Catalina Rio. She was a poet and she was in charge of the educational program. And she invited me to Tayer's gallery space, to the garden. That's where we had our first, our first like interview. And I brought her some of my work and I showed her and, you know, it it was really nice that she even gave me the time of day because I was really like a baby. And I didn't tell her that I was pregnant. I was I was four months pregnant. I didn't tell her anything because I wasn't sure if that would affect whether I would be brought in or not. It was funny because I, I was there. We had a really good first conversation. Then she invited me over to the educational building. And she was like, why don't you come over to the building so you could see the space? And she hadn't given me the job yet. But when I got there, she was late. She was late for the meeting. And the, the person that was normally the secretary and would have some sense <laughs> wasn't there. It was this other guy, another young teacher. (laughs) And I came in. I was like, hi, my name is Betsy Casanas. I'm an artist. I have an interview today with Catalina. He was like, oh, thank God you're an artist. He was like, there's a classroom of kids in the back. There's nobody there. (laughs) He was like, the artist never showed up. He was like, just go back there. And he just threw me in. And she came 15 minutes later, like really apologetic and was like, I'm so sorry, but then she looked around and all the kids were working. <laughs> so it was always really natural for me to, like, be in the classroom and work with kids and kind of lead workshops. So I got that job. From there, I was recommended within the month. So I was four months pregnant. Within the month, I was invited to the Village of the Arts and Humanities because the executive director of uh, Taller recommended me for the village. I was at the village for a month, and then they recommended me to this public art and... uh science program that was called network arts philadelphia and they were mostly mosaics and i was like i was totally a kid and but i was like i was teaching and i was working with teenagers at the time and two weeks before i had archangel with my my first son um i finished my first mural wow (laughs) yeah so it was just like one thing right after the other and then you know once they did find out in taller that i was pregnant i mean they just like bumped up my hours and paid me really well for somebody so young <laughs> so i was able to kind of set everything up and and get the place in order and and move into my own space and have the house ready for like the baby and i was in school at the time it was yeah So there was a lot of stuff happening like all at the same time but that's kind of how I started working in the classroom with students and then doing public art. But it's always been integrated with some kind of workshops that I was giving or workshops like there never was like A moment where I was like creating public art just on my own. Like I was always, it always started with a classroom or with a group. And that's, I mean, it's continued like that. And I really enjoy, I really enjoy teaching. I was a teacher for, for a long time in Philadelphia at the Charter High School for Architecture and Design for about nine years. I integrated my public art into the classroom. So I would teach, you know, painting and drawing and community arts and I would take them into the neighborhood and we would do a series of, of projects and they would work on murals on parachute props. Because in Philly we do, most of our murals are done on parachute plots. so they could do, be done in a studio and then when you're ready to install,
0: then you go to the wall um, with all the fabric. Can you explain that process a little bit? Because I've, I've heard of this done in Philly and I've had some other artists propose it but they hadn't done it themselves yet.
1: Yeah, I've been doing it for about 20 years. Basically you get a row of parachute cloth, we use parachute cloth and Nova color paint or Golden, mostly Golden now. I'm talking about very specifically with like when I when I was working when I'm working with the mural arts program, we're using mostly Golden and Nova color. The sheets get broken down. Usually, when I'm painting a mural, I do a small sketch, and then um, I make the grid uh, five inches by five inches. So I make a like a five inch grid, and that transfers to a five foot by five foot okay. square. So you basically lay it out, set up a grid on um, the wall, on the fabric, on your computer, and you label everything. You know, usually letters go from um, top to bottom, numbers go from left to right, depending on how long the building is, and then you kind of just start attaching. So in my studio, I have the capability of creating of working on about a hundred feet of parachute cloth, a hundred feet by like eight feet. So I, I could work on two pieces. So I work on one piece and then attach it right to the next. So I just keep sliding mm. it over. You never see the entire mural, but you're able to do large sections, about eight feet by 20 feet. I have eight by 20 feet walls on four sections in my studio. So the process with the parachute cloth, it looks like stretched out cotton. When it's not primed, it feels like fabric, it's really soft. It's beautiful to paint on because it doesn't wrinkle. Hmm. You would expect a uh, parachute cloth. Is it, is it nylon or is it cotton? Ca- no, it's not nylon. It, they call it parachute cloth, but it's not really nylon. It has nothing to do with parachute cloth. I have no idea. I think the real uh, term is like tabby cloth. So, okay, so it's just yeah. like a plain weave of something. Yeah, cloth. it's just, it kind of looks like uh, the lining for flags. Okay, yeah. So yeah. it's very similar to that, but then um, when you prime it, it takes on more of a paper, like you're able to tear it. So it becomes a little bit more like hard. So with the parachute cloth, you have to prime the parachute cloth at least twice. Uh, at I mean is once or twice, and then on top of that, you know, you have the grid on top of your computer, your design, your full design on the computer. I usually break it down into like steps. Like if I'm working on a figure, I'll do like eight variations of um, of light. And then on top of that, I'll actually go in and paint full color. But I usually do like a grayscale initially or like a sepia tone initially. And then on top of that, I'll start um, adding really bright colors.
0: And this is all with acrylic that you're building up? Pe- um, yeah, I'm doing everything with the, the golden. Um,
1: yeah, and you, we're not using oil at all. It would be way too messy. <laughs> um, yeah. So you project the image. Once you're done projecting, then we label. So we label everything so that other people can come in. The nice thing about working on parachute cloth is that you can have large groups of people coming into your studio at different times and work. I mean, what what makes parachute cloth ideal? And I've done both. I go directly on the wall and I use parachute cloth. But what makes um, parachute cloth ideal is that you could have more hands on it. I have groups in my studio that come from different classrooms. Sometimes I work with uh, re-entry programs. Sometimes I work with just community members. Sometimes I do a call for volunteers and then folks just come to my studio. When well, we're working on a project that has a very short condensed time and the project is really massive there's a video up on the project that i did in buffalo new york on my website you could see that one and that one will show you i mean with that particular project we created the mural and it was about 125 by five foot sheets that wrapped the entire building so it was a three-story building that wrapped around with 120 sheets and we did it in 34 days which is insanity usually with a project like this with community involvement it takes you know, with mural arts. I'm talking very specifically not with mural arts because I've done murals where I've done them for 10 days and I'll just kind of whip it out that are, that are fairly large. With parachute cloth, you could get a ridiculous amount of detail, like uh, pattern. Like I do a lot of pattern, really intricate pattern work in my designs. So being able to create the patterns in really small, small designs and then kind of like I create a lot of mandalas, just uh, like I'm really interested in like talavera style tiles. Um, and how it kind of connects. I'm interested in a lot of patterns. So it's always in my, it's, a, it's, it's a, what identifies like color and patterns are what people know most about my work. So it's really nice because then you could have a lot of people come in to work on these designs. And with the patterns, it's usually like the color layouts are usually already set up. Like I, I design everything and I set everything up So that I have usually like a main crew. I usually work with like five to six people during any project. And those five to six people, I trained them so that they could lead groups that are coming in. So if I have 60 people coming in, each person gets, you know, five to six people. And then they can zero in and focus. So it's not chaos. That's kind of the nice thing about kind of working with the parachute club. It is because we're doing so many patterns and because we're working on like so many details. I mean, it is like labor intensive. If you look at my, on the website, you can look up the Spring Garden Street Bridge and that particular mural is massive. It was the, it was larger than a city block. It was only five feet tall, but it was 194 10 foot panels. So it was, you know, massive. We, with that particular mural, worked with I would say 800 to a thousand people because we were working. I had folks that were taking panels. If you look at the mural, it has a lot of tulips. I've designed Talavera sections that were with, uh, with this tulip design. The community, the, the Spring Garden Street Bridge, The Spring Garden Street Bridge was a mural that coincided with the artists of the Mexican Revolution in Philadelphia. So it was called Pinta La Revolución, the the exhibit. So it was a collaboration with the Philadelphia Mural Arts and the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And then the museum, there's a bridge that connects them to a neighboring community called Mantua. And they had a campaign against violence that was called bulbs instead of bullets. So they had been uh, planting tulips all over the city and they were really like adamant about having tulips all over the mural. So to honor that, I did a bunch of things to make sure that we really honored the importance of that message and and the work that they had been doing. Aside from creating the five foot by 94 panels of like intense pattern work. I mean, imagine the the bridge, (laughs) the bridge is bigger than a city block and our brushes are this little, like they're like, tiny little brushes because we're working with a lot of detail and every single section of the pattern needs four to six quotes to be finalized for for me for me to be like (laughs) happy that, that it looks clean and it's finalized and it's you know um so we had consistently folks in the studio morning noon and night in the beginning of production i was working early, early, early in the morning till late, late, late at night, like midnight, like nine in the morning till midnight. Sometimes we would come in early. I had an assistant that would come in. We we set it up so that we would take breaks in between, but then you get in there and you're working on adrenaline because there's so many people constantly in the studio and there's so many people in and out of the space that you just don't get tired.
0: You crash completely once the project is done. I went off track there. I, I have a lot of questions about that particular project because I actually watched the, I think it was the video with the video. Uh, yeah. By LaSalle TV. LaSalle TV, and yeah. Yeah. They did a great job on, on that. They do- did a wonderful job. They were students. They were like six students it's, in this tech and that was their assignment for the semester. Wow. So- it was so inspiring as I'm starting yeah. to do video. I'm like, okay, I guess they figured it out. <laughs> Just to finish off on the parachute cloth. So how do, how is that actually attached to the wall? Attached to the wall? So once everything is done, what we do is we,
1: we create rows, right? We we have all the rows for the letter A. Um, So A1 to, say, 20. Like, for example, the Buffalo Project was like A to F from A to 20. A1 to 20. So there were 25 by 5 foot squares that went across the entire building on each section. Once you have everything, basically when we're creating the work and we're cutting down the, the parachute pop. Parachute prop comes in a row and it'll cut exactly 150 five by five foot panels. So when you cut them, we, what we try to do is make sure that the part that's coming directly off the roll is the side that we use so that when we're installing on the wall, the imperfections, even though we try to be really, really organized when we cut the fabric, we try to have the perfect section side by side so that everything lines up, right? So that when we go back in, because once everything is installed, there's usually rocks on the walls, there's holes for windows, there's sections, and we, I design for the entire building and then I just cut out later. So there's always like scraps of pieces that are left over. Um, so once everything is done, I usually start right from the top left corner and I gel. The wall, we usually have two people on the floor gelling Uh, the fabric and then about three people up top squeegeeing it so you squeegee you add the gel to the wall um it's like a it's a medium um it's a gel medium you put it on the wall and you put it on the fabric and then we just kind of line it up and then squeegee from we create a star and then kind of work our way around and then hope that everything lines up (laughs) and if it doesn't then we have to paint right on the wall so there's I have the process of every single one of my murals, most of my murals on Facebook. I usually do like an album. So you can actually see what the mural looks like while it's actually being installed. And you can see like some of the crevices or if the walls are, like if the fabric starts moving, sometimes it starts separating from the design. Um, You try not to do that because you like level it first, right? Sometimes the walls aren't level. Everything is usually crooked. Not the (laughs) mural but the walls. We gel it. Once everything is on the wall and gelled, we squeegee all the excess. I always reuse everything. Some people don't. Some people, once they squeegee it off the wall, they throw that gel away, which I I don't like doing. I just keep using it on the wall. Then once that's done, then we go back in and we touch up. So we usually have a small crew of Depending on the capacity of like the lift right, and what kind of floor we're on, you know, we're able to use like a scissor lift, it usually allows me to take up six people, uh, which is great when you're touching up. A boom lift only allows you to take about three. Usually I, I work with, if we're working with two lifts, then we, we have two people going on different areas, sometimes people on the ground floor. If we're only using one lift, then it's just me and three people, we kind of just go After everything is up, I like make a list of everything that needs to be touched up. Everything is super organized. You have to be super organized. I kind of, you know, I definitely, I go with the flow when I change things if I don't like them. Like if I have a wall that I've, I've set up a certain color and I've mixed everything and I put it on and I'm not really, really happy with the color combination, And I I don't mind changing certain things. So it's like I feel like with this kind of work there has to be a level of flexibility to be able to create the work and and not go crazy because anything could go wrong you know anything could go wrong and then you have like you have to be really comfortable with with at least parachute cloth and teaching a community and integrating that into the public art. Like if you are working with community then it's it's really about how to navigate like all of these different personalities while you're in the space and making sure that you're working on everybody's level you know so and really like identifying who does what like you want to definitely get people with really crisp lines on on the detailed section there are some people and usually the majority of people are cool you know you may, may have one or two folks like one or one or two um individuals that might not be able to do like edges you know but Usually that's not the case, so <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. I'm I, I'm I know that was very long-winded. No, it's fascinating. And does the parachute cloth just do you coat it at the end? Is there a mm-hmm. final layer of something? Yeah.
1: So once everything is is on the wall, then you get sections that haven't been painted. I always do detail. Like I always um have some kind of border. I always have some kind of border. Like usually the tops of buildings have those intricate like uh. I don't know what you would call that. Uh,
0: like molding?
1: Molding, yeah. Like old row homes have great molding up top. Otherwise, we create like a really straight line and I usually like just create like a, a black or some kind of, in the Buffalo mural, I did um, a purple wrap around for the building. Yeah, so you, you install everything and then you get the edges that you weren't able to get in the studio for whatever reason. Like sometimes doors um, or or the building is on an angle and you're working this way. So you either clean it up and extend the mural or you, you frame it out. So, and then after that, we seal it. So you do a, just a, an acrylic seal and that's it. It's a long process. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the process. I like every part of the process because I like... I like teaching. I like being in the studio. I like the energy that that brings. I like having folks come into the studio that have absolutely no experience. Like I don't usually work with um, just artists. I work with community members. So I work with like all kinds of folks. So people come into the space and, and they work with me and it's exciting. It's, I, I get excited for them to see the process because it's so much, it's so much fun. So I really enjoy it. And then it's just, I don't know, I feel like, like working in community, teaching in community, and being involved in a project that's so big and it's going to make an impact on such a large group of people in every stage of it is really beautiful. I, I like how much like, I get from it like emotionally, right? It's really, really like healing. But I, it's also like really healing for folks that get to experience that, which is really nice. I don't have to do that. I don't I don't have to when I'm when I'm working with like the mural arts program, like we're usually required to paint murals and in the duration of the project, they ask you to do like maybe one or two painting days, right? Where they open it up to the community and people come in and they get to paint. But I do that from the beginning of the project. So once the design is done, once it's approved and we start the process of projecting, that's when I start inviting people in. So My studio is usually open from like nine to six. If I'm working on a regular standard mural with a good amount of time to finish. Otherwise we're working crazy hours. You know, we're working morning, noon, night, and then we take in various groups sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon. Sometimes we take interns in the evening. Like it's like, just a rolling out of like all kinds of folks in and out of the space. I think that kind of that kind of process for me is like just a, such a beautiful way to be able to connect with folks from the community, really a beautiful way to connect with folks from other communities. And it's a great way to bring people together that normally wouldn't be together. Yeah, this process of the parachute cloth is like, it's definitely, it's definitely lovely. With, with murals that you paint directly on the wall, like you get, you impact folks seeing you right they're they're watching you put the work up and obviously like anytime I love watching people work so I always go and I'm like can I help you know (laughs) but I I really enjoy watching other artists work I love watching other artists process but I think that parachute club definitely has something special because you have more involvement
0: it seems like it's more accessible also because people can probably like sit down while they're doing it or they're out of the heat or the sunlight The, no, absolutely. The weather I extremes—it mean, mm-hmm. changes completely.
1: Like um, the idea of mural making, because you're no longer—you're no longer restricted. You know, you're no longer restricted. You're no longer worried about a heat wave or rain or snow. I mean, I can work throughout the winter now. Uh, I mean, I'm in Puerto Rico right now, so that I can work whenever I want. <laughs> but being able to work at like two o'clock in the morning sometimes is necessary. You know, I mean, last. July, I worked with a Chilean artist, Ian Equeco, and we worked on a mural that focused on on the crisis happening on the border, right? On the people, like, crossing over, and the hardship of that, right? The hardship of, like, letting everything, leaving everything that you know to be home to make this journey and really humanizing this experience. And so we both came in like he came from Chile and he had a very limited amount of of time uh, to do this project. And he came to my space and we kind of worked together. We both were working on every step of the project, right? Every step of the project, beginning, middle and end, we did it in under seven weeks. And you know, it happened when we worked on that particular project. It was the second mural that he had done about the separation of families. And then the second year when he came was when they had found the father with the little baby, do you remember that, in the water? And it was definitely like very, very impactful, right? I mean obviously um, as a Puerto Rican artist, we don't have the same experience, but it's not that, but like we feel that solidarity with those communities and offended at the dehumanization of folks. So it was really important to us to place this particular mural in a prominent Puerto Rican neighborhood in Philadelphia as a way to show that solidarity and that welcoming in. And it was called Sanctuary City, Sanctuary Neighborhood. That's really the Sanctuary City. Yeah, so like projects like that, like when when Ian, when Ian and I were working on that particular project, we were working from eight in the morning till two o'clock in the morning, most nights. And we had teenagers that were about, like that were, some of them had crossed the border. Some of them had escaped Hurricane Maria from Puerto Rico. All of them were on different, different. Um, there were different forms of migration that were happening there. And we were working together to create this piece. So they, those kids were with us in the morning and then we worked with a re-entry program uh, with the mural arts in the afternoon. So we worked with folks for about you know two and a half hours, two and a half hours with the kids in the morning, two and a half hours with uh, the folks from the re-entry program. And then in the evening we did interns. And then when they left, we continued working. And it's like, you know, the day before the mural, we worked almost 27 hours. We worked like straight through the night. We went home and slept maybe two hours and we're back on the wall by five in the morning that day because the dedication was at like 11.
0: <laughs> so it is just like sometimes it could get really intense but it's like again you you go on adrenaline so. and, and that was done on parachute cloth as well yeah yeah how how long does that last how long does it last on the wall on the wall um, yeah.
1: i would say that they say that it lasts about 25 years 25 years on the wall I have a mural in Philly that I did in 2007. That's what I think my oldest one, right? Is that my oldest? I think that's my oldest one in Paratru I've worked on Paratru with other artists like before that point, but that was, that in Philly was my first one. No, it wasn't, it wasn't my first one. It was, it was like, I don't remember what I've done a lot of murals. Um, so I don't remember, I, that was the first time I wrote a list. It was in 2007, <laughs> I mean, that, I'm like, I'm confusing my first. But I had done parachute cross before that, but but
0: it still looks good.
1: Yeah, the two thousand seven one still looks great. Um, it's under direct sunlight, okay, um, most of the day, so it's faded a little bit, but it's still like in great condition. The, then I have another one that was done a year later, uh, where it doesn't get any sun, and that's just as vibrant as the first day I put it up. Wow! So it depends on the on the quality of your paint. Okay. on the quality of paint and the quality of the seal and how well you install. So if you're installing and you're leaving bubbles on the wall, that's a problem because water will get in it. So you have to be really, really meticulous with how you with how you study, you know, artists. with With a process like this, you have to be organized. You have to be organized, you have to be meticulous in order to have a mural that's going to last. So...
0: Is it possible to restore them?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean... Well, you can't take it off. Once it's on the wall, it's not like you could peel it off. No. Okay, like, so you have to
0: it, restore it, directly.
1: Yeah. If, yeah, you you restore right on it. It takes the form of the wall. So if the wall looks like if it's bricks, then it actually just takes the form of the wall. You can't see it. You can't see like paper or the seams at all. Like you can't, like if you get really close up and you're looking for it, then you'll be able to see it. Like, oh, this is where they have it. But usually you can't see it. It's pretty seamless. Are you an artist?
0: Submit your portfolio at distillcreative.com slash artist. You'll get on our distill directory, our artist database, and be considered for upcoming art commissions. You've talked a lot about working late nights, <laughs> yeah. having people in and out all the time. How do you balance just your your fine art practice, your social practice, which which seem to be very much integrated, but also living your life and taking Usually- care of yourself? Usually projects
1: like this um, are done in a really condensed period of time. Like I'm usually working like four weeks. So in those four weeks, I don't have a life. I basically am like not reachable. Um, I might escape for the occasional rumba. <laughs> Normally I, I paint constantly like with my, with my own work. Sometimes I'm, I have a mural and I have paintings that are on the wall that I'm doing at the same time because I'm in my studio. So I'm used to painting a lot of work at once. So with my own practice, I sometimes have about 15 to 18 pieces going on at the same time, like on canvas, on paper, on whatever. Like I do a lot of grids. Last year, I, I had a solo exhibit um, in one of the galleries, one of the galleries in Philadelphia. And I think I had over 80 some pieces that were, for that particular, some small, some large, that I was working on while I was still creating other, like working on public art. I'm in the studio and sometimes if I have a large enough group of people that are in there working and they're working on details, sometimes things, like once it gets to like a core group of people that are consistently in there, don't really need much direction, then I go to my work, but I mean I have I'm constantly working on 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 my own stuff and yeah, I mean, as far as social life, like my house is like right behind my studio. My studio is so close to my house that when I first when I first got the studio, I had a landline, like a phone line, and one of the things I was able to take it to the studio and not have to get a new line. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of stretches of time where I don't have public art projects that I'm working on. This, this year right now, being in Puerto Rico has been difficult. I'm really happy that I'm here, but I don't have access to my space. I don't have access to my studio. I do have I brought a lot of like uh material, not paint, but I brought like charcoal and paper and you know some stuff. And I went to the local store and I bought cheap paint. It's just very bad. So my practice here has not been like I'm I feel like I'm focusing on other things because I have I have a space here that I would eventually want to create something very similar to what I what I have in Philly, but much larger. I have 17 acres of farmland in the middle of Puerto Rico. It was my grandfather's. And I want to transform that into a combination of, of a communal space, residencies, and Airbnb. And basically, that's how I live. Like, like I bought my house in 2010. And, you know, I... I have like friends that have lived with me and that have helped with um, you know, the payment of my house. So being able to do like Airbnb and, and have folks that live in my house has been definitely a way for me to su- like survive during slow periods, you know? Because sometimes you have a project, like if I do two murals a year, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good amount. Um, and that usually happens with, from June till maybe November. Um, not that they can't happen like, in, like at other times, but usually that's how, that's how it goes. So I have long periods of time where I am like home and I have the gallery. So we have like, the gallery hasn't had anything since I've left. But we usually have, like I, I collaborate with, with different folks in the community. Um, and we have like concerts in the space. We have exhibits. We've had, um, we opened in 2010. I said, we, I mean me. I opened in 2010. Uh, my kids were still really middle, so they, they helped me. And, you know, I've partnered with like Afro Dino Productions, you know, with, who are really, really dear friends of mine. And they bring in, they work with, with NPRs, Latin Roots in Philly, and they bring Afro Latino independent groups from all over the place. And, you know, sometimes they, they always make a stop in my house. So we always have concerts in my house. We have like rumbas in the house. We have bombas in the house. Um, we have exhibits. You know, some we always we always have something happening, right? And the idea is like collaboration. Like a lot of the work that that I've always done has been about collaborating with other community members in order to create these sacred spaces and give voice to what's happening in the
0: neighborhood. Do you think those collaborations come from just you being in a place for a long period of time? Or is there something specific about Philly and, and I guess Puerto Rico to that yeah. degree that allows people to have more time to collaborate? I, I'm just yeah, thinking- I, I, I think so. I
1: think definitely like being in a place for long periods of time definitely helps because people know you and they trust you. Um, But I've done stuff, like I've done stuff around the world and I've worked with other groups and I've worked with other
0: uh, community members that also have been like really open to this idea of collaboration. I guess I'm curious about your lifestyle and how how that happens, because I think... Yeah, I think with like the longer term collaborations, I feel like
1: I have to work with folks that I trust, right? Folks that are... Really, on the same page with this idea of community development and community work, kind of have the same vision that then you know this idea of of competitiveness is not really what i'm I'm not really interested in that. so i I work with folks that have been really doing this kind of st- this kind of work where you combine the community work with with being in the classroom. I think all of that, makes makes a huge difference. So like with Marangeli, like we've known each other probably for about 20 years from Afro Productions. You know, with Afro Productions, they run the Philadelphia Film Festival, the Latin Film Festival. Um, they work with NPR's Latin Roots. They bring concerts to the major museums like the Barnes Foundation, Philadelphia Museum of Art, but then they also bring it to the community. Um, and we collaborate and then bring um, artists to my house to either Give a concert, a private concert? Or sometimes just to like, come be in the space. So with folks like that, I feel like, yeah, definitely being in one space makes a difference because of like the nature of the work. Like murals are really inviting, right? When you work on murals, people want to be involved. So it hasn't been difficult. It hasn't been the thank you. It hasn't been difficult to go to other communities and integrate myself it makes a difference if you don't know anybody obviously like you can't just go to a spot and hope people are gonna you know trust you so every time that i've gone anywhere i always have somebody on the ground that i've worked with and i think that's more because i've done a lot of uh, i've done a lot of public art graffiti festivals um one one in particular i feel like that's made like a huge impact was one that i was in called latino americano and it was in Peru. And there were 45 artists, 45 artists from all over Latin America, the Caribbean and different parts of Europe that came. We all stayed in a hostel. We all stayed, there were five women only. So it's like five women and 40, 40 men graffiti artists. And that's just like, that's the standard, right? When you're thinking about like public art and, and this gender, it's never like, I, I'm always in the minority. Like, Why do you think that is? I, do, I don't, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I guess it's, um, it's definitely like, a, like graffiti art and it's definitely dominated by men. It's definitely dominated by, by men. Um, I had been in Peru with the American embassy, like they had invited me to do a project in 2013, uh, November of 2013, I was invited to do a project and they sent me to three different cities in, in Peru to work with three different communities. And because of that, I ended up meeting key people that had been linked up with Latino Americano, which is like a festival. And then the guy, uh, Entes, reached out to me and asked me if I would consider doing one of the murals. And because of that, now I have folks all over the world, right? I have folks, I could go to any part of of the Caribbean um, or South America, and I have people that can link me up with folks that are doing stuff, right? If I want to go in and I want to work with a community of women, if I want to work in a community of whatever, like I, I have been able to, to do that another way has been with professors. I've had professors that have continued to follow my work and have moved on to other places. It's just with a lot of the work that I've been doing, I've always been around a lot of people. So those people continue to move to different parts of the world and they continue to follow my work. So I, I was recently invited to India to start up a public art project with a professor that I used to teach with at Chad at the Charter High School for Architecture Design. And now he's in India for a two year residency. And he invited me over to do a semester to work with students. I mean, that's still like, you know, we've we've kind of talked about it, had a couple of conversations, nothing's come to fruition with it, but it's usually folks that have known my work or have followed my work that have been able to create spaces um in communities where they're trusted and then bring me in and once i'm in and i i create the space um in the community then it's a little bit easier to really dive in deeper closer to what i want to focus on if i if i go back right and that's really beautiful because then you get connected to folks all over right all over the world and those are usually like short short things like i've done like month long projects in in various countries i was in paraguay for a month i was in in Peru various times doing, I've done a lot, I've done like five projects in Peru, in in the Dominican Republic, in Puerto Rico, in Cuba, like like I've done a lot of stuff in in Ecuador, in, in Paraguay, Mexico, and these projects for the most part have been set up by folks that know my work and have invited me to do a project. So in a sense, yes, it's a collaboration. I feel like the deeper collaborations where you could really dig in and really create something that's more sustainable and really makes a huge impact on on communities definitely when you're in a space for a longer period of time with the nature of my work i mean i i'm a public artist i do you know i i do that so i'm always jumping around i'm not staying in one place at the same time so i'm constantly in different spaces but people people kind of come so that's always you know that's always nice and then with the gallery it's no different than the studio is like the idea of creating safe spaces in the community where folks can come and feel heard right and feel like it's a, for some it's like an escape you know you go away you a couple of hours and you you're able to paint and you're able to like contribute to something that's going to be around for the next thirty thirty 30
0: years you know are you a real estate developer looking for a unique amenity for your site Get our free guide, 10 Tips for Commissioning a Site-Specific Artwork, at our website, DistillCreative.com. How do you maintain relationships? Do you have, like, any kind of tips for other people maintaining lots of different types of relationships with lots of different people from different places? I mean, I, I don't. I feel like, like, for me, I try to
1: be really honest. I try to be really honest with everything. So I've, I still have relationships with, like, in my exhibit, I told you I had the solo exhibit. Uh, back in April, the woman that hired me for that job when I was 19 years old at the Village of the Arts and Humanities came to that exhibit. I still have relationships with the people from Taller Puerto Riqueño, like I have relationships with folks because I, I'm very honest with what I'm able to bring and I work hard. So I really, I feel like I, I work really hard when I'm doing these projects and I'm present in those spaces when I'm there. You know, and I think that's really important um, to to really treat people with with dignity, with treat people with respect when you're when you're in these spaces. But also, like being honest with what it is that you want and what you don't want. You know, I I I like a certain kind of environment in my space so that I'm making everybody feel comfortable. You know, when I'm in my space in my studio in Philly, like I try not to have people. Like I really try to have people be mindful of like. You know, so it was cursing. You know, I mean, I, I like, and I'm not trying to censor folks, but I feel like there. You know, we have to realize that there's a time and a place for different things. And when we're in like a, a community space, trying to create a place where people feel comfortable sharing, creating an environment that's a little more hostile. You know, it, be, it makes it more difficult. And you know, my dad is in my space. Like, my dad works with me in my studio. My mom comes in all the time. And you know, I have some folks that are just like older. So. So I mean, I have like it's it's pretty intergenerational. I'm not working with like just you know 20 year olds that are interested in becoming muralists. I'm working with like teenagers. I'm working with high school students. I'm working with university students. I'm working with community members, and I'm working with seniors. So I'm working with like people that range in age from you know young to old. So really trying to create this space
0: where where people feel safe and respected. On the relationship maintenance though do you keep like an email list or like Uh, how do you remember i I do facebook (laughs) i'm terrible i'm so bad with with that the only way that
1: i connect with folks is usually facebook and instagram and you know i have my website um and obviously people that need to get in contact with me can get in contact with me through those mediums right but what i try to do is i always show what i'm working on i always show you know the process so people that have that have worked with me in Peru can see what I'm working on in like Boston. People that are in Boston can see what I'm working on in Puerto Rico. Like, so I always show it because they, you know, a lot of people have been involved. So that's been a way to kind of connect with folks and people like reach out to see how I'm doing or to talk about another project. You know, the project that I did with American Embassy in, in Peru linked me up with like an AmeriCorps type project, like Peace Corps, but focused in Latin America. So I was able to work with a lot of uh, like young, young uh, folks that were working in these indigenous communities and kept in contact with me. So from that, I was I've been invited to like Haiti and and Paraguay. So I mean, I was I was able to go to Paraguay. I haven't done Haiti yet, but it's because of these folks that worked with me and they were part of my main crew because I trained them during, you know, a 10 day workshop and sometimes the 10 days is all you need to have that to like build that and i have relationships with folks that are like decades long and obviously i don't i don't i'm not talking to people every day i'm not like sending uh i'm not sending emails to let them know what i'm doing um i'm bad at that that i need to work on that but i do try to keep my like when i'm working on projects i do try to keep back current so people could see what's happening what's going on and they like seeing the process so I like sharing the process
0: and it sounds like your work just the nature of it because it's so intense that you really do build a relationship with them even if it's just like yeah. a day thing or someone's just coming to yeah. the studio for an afternoon so they Absolutely. get that high touch from you and then it just mm-hmm. kind of continues how does funding work on these projects are people usually coming to you with like I have this budget or I have this funder or are you having to fund them or is it a combination oh, no I don't know I haven't um I haven't funded anything. Um, like with my
1: projects with Semilla, right? What I was telling you earlier was, well, we have projects for Semilla, we're required to do like two days of of programming with folks from the community. When I open my studio up for the duration of the time, so I'm actually like teaching and I'm working with the community. That I'm not charging for, but that's because I enjoy it. And, and we end up getting a lot of hands and help on a project like that. But as far as funding, I mean, Right now, I'm, I'm applying for projects like on Coffer for entry is a website online um, yes. where they have like large budgets for different projects in airports, in different, just a bunch of universities, uh, different cities. So that's like one mainstream that I've, I've been applying to projects on. I've been a Philadelphia mural artist with the mural arts program um, for 20 years now. So they've consistently given me work um and they usually have like a pretty good budget um a lot of the projects that i've done in other countries like in uh in south america and the caribbean it's different i feel like um the u.s has money when we go to the to these other countries the budgets are significantly smaller and and that's fine i feel like uh, like there's a lot of work that i've done that has been for free but they've pay for materials and housing and food. And I've been able to work those things. But those are usually like more projects that are like dear like to my heart, right? It's like more projects that are, that are really about about offering resources and this other alternative to creating beautiful spaces and communities that, that struggle, right? Communities that are really, really, really underserved. I mean, like with, with Peru, I was in spaces where there was no running water. It's like on the hill. There are certain things that, are, that I definitely do for, for charity, but then there's a lot of the projects that I do do to survive are usually with, with mural programs that are running. Like usually museums have projects, like the Buffalo was, uh, was their public art. It was the Outbreak uh public art program. Um, the Philly Mural Arts program um, has been wonderful. Definitely, I've been invited by festivals, by, so there's always a budget that comes with it. Um, There's always a budget that comes with it. So I I haven't had to
0: do that myself unless it's a personal project that I'm interested in doing. And how do you think every, I mean, I hate even bringing it up, but with COVID-19 and just the inability for us to be in close, in in close spaces or close proximity with people indoors, how do you think that's going to impact your work? I think mean, definitely it's going to impact it in the coming. I mean, it's impacted it already. I mean, I've had
1: all of my work completely canceled. I had, because um, I, I run alternative, I, I've given you so much information. <laughs> I run alternative spring breaks. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so I did that when I was like, in college. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. I work with universities from around the country and they come to my house and they stay with me for a week. And in that week, I cook for them. Well, we cook in community. I cook for them and I take them out in, either to my studio or the gallery, and we do some kind of community project. They help with the setting up of some part of whatever we're working on. I had one in March that was completely canceled. All my Airbnbs in Puerto Rico were completely canceled. My, I had a mural in Springfield, Massachusetts for a festival that was completely canceled. Um, I was working on more graphic stuff, all canceled, all postponed. So it's like right now, I have no idea like right now it is it's just like a little bit you know i mean i'm a, i'm i'm a finalist for one project in Philadelphia and i'm applying for two other projects one in jersey and another one in Allentown um but it is it's a little bit my work is community based i mean i could do it without without folks and i could just have a small crew of people that I work with so I mean it's not like, like we have to stop but the level of community involvement has to be limited just just for everybody's
0: safety until this all comes down you know mm-hmm. yeah and I, I wanted to know if you have any resources that have helped you along the way definitely the coffer entry uh,
1: I like resources I, I feel like I go to other people's studios I go to other people's spaces I go to other people's just to see how they're kind of working on on projects how they work in their spaces how they set up their spaces definitely like like resources the coffer entry has been a really great one it's really competitive so like to get to a final round sometimes like it, t- it takes a long time it's like a matter of just continuing I've just I've been consumed with news <laughs> everything that's been happening like with black lives matter everything that's been happening with um with the coronavirus i mean i feel like that's been the all i've been consuming and like at the moment i feel like i'm i'm totally it is super inspiring to see everything that's happening right now obviously mm-hmm. um, it's necessary you know we'll see we'll see how how we all kind of move through this and you know hopefully is not another another thing that gets mute it after a couple of weeks and people get tired of listening you know then we, we fall asleep really fast yeah so I think definitely I've been just consumed with the everyday and how everybody's doing and other tragedy and loss from from the pandemic losing folks that that definitely were important people that's it you know I'm, I'm kind of ready for for the summer and hopefully you know things will get get better and then you know <laughs> You let me know if you need anything, if you have any other questions or you reach out, come to Philly. <laughs> what yeah, are doing?
0: I would love, I'd love to visit both. I really enjoy talking with you. It's really inspiring that you've built a life around this and I think that I'm excited to share this because it's just to share that it's even possible, right? Like I think it's yeah. this is the dream for so many people. It's definitely the dream yeah. for me. Yeah, definitely. And just knowing that you're still doing it. And it's it's I think also it's not always gonna be, I feel like with a lot of street artists or public artists, there's a lot of ego involved. And so yeah. it's really refreshing to to just talk to you and learn more about how you approach this. And it's so integrated and community, you you, you really can't pull the community out of the work, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's totally
1: intertwined. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the interview and let me know if anything. Awesome. Yeah,
0: I'd love to. Where can our listeners find you online? I'm BZ
1: Casanas everything. It's BZCasanas.com, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Gmail. It's all the same. (laughs) www.BZCasanas.com.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'll link to everything in the show notes and I'll link to everything we talked about too. And thank yeah. you so much for taking time. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Good luck with coming back to Philly. I hope everything goes well. Thank you. You too. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of First Coat. If you like this podcast, please leave a review. Make sure to subscribe to the First Coat podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram at First Coat Podcast or at still creative. First Coat is a production of my company, Distill Creative. Check us out at stillcreative.com.